0: Welcome to episode number 23 of The Friday Fraudster. Today, The Walking Dead Collections and Hospice Hell. Kelly, Joe, wait. <laughs> <laughs> that-
1: <laughs> I said I'm dope. in the full on pink today because I'm doing, a, doing an event um, this afternoon, Friday. You know, after a full day, and they give me the last episode. So I'm in the full-on pink. I'm ready to play the nine to five theme song to get everyone motivated, and we are gonna have a blast.
0: So that has to be kind of exciting, hopefully.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I make it fun, I give out books, I'm like, I'm in.
0: Yeah, so so how are you today? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> Thomas, why don't you introduce yourself to the people?
2: I feel like I have too short of hair. I need to you know, put a wig on or something. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, quite a few people on here know me already, but uh, my name is Thomas Molinix. I'm the founder of Revision Management Consulting based in the cool, crisp air of Houston, Texas. Uh, my consulting firm averages uh, over 15 years of relevant experience in internal audit, SOX, fraud prevention, and accounting. And uh, Robert, you and I have talked numerous times, have uh, you know, shared videos. We've chatted a bunch. Kelly, you and I have had a few comments here and there as well. So uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: So Thomas is here with us today, and he's going to give us another perspective. And Thomas is usually in the chat. So now we get to hear him live and direct. And you guys, Dan is here and he says, finally TGI Friday. And the hurricane is going east of Houston. Alicia is here and she says, happy Friday. And Dan says, Kelly the closer. What was that what Was that saying? Cookies off of closers or what was
1: it? <laughs> I don't remember that one.
0: You don't remember that one?
1: No. It was something like
0: cookies off of closers or something like that. All right. So look, As you guys are entering the chat room, you know what to do. Drop the emoji into the chat that signifies the mood that you're in right now. Why do I do that? Because we care about you. Yes, you. Each and every one of you. And we just want to know how you guys are doing. And Heather is here. And Heather, what? I see the smiley emojis. I don't know what the other ones are, partially because I'm blind and partially because, well, I'm just not that bright. And Janet is here and she says, "frye," And she agrees with Dan. Sorry, New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. ooh, yeah. And Pozo is here live and direct from NYC. And Thomas says live sarcasm instead of type. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, you guys, here's what I'm going to do today. Today, we are going to jump right into the stories. You know, occasionally, we'll do a little bit of setup here and there, and we'll tell everyone what we're doing. Well, today, I'm just so intrigued by a couple of these because, my goodness, they are simplistic at best. So, you've seen the title, The Walking Dead Collections. Let's talk about this and what it is. A former caseworker in the Richmond Department of Social Services pleaded guilty to mail fraud. And Hal, Hal and I talked yesterday, why is it always mail fraud? Anyway, pleaded guilty to mail fraud in June in a scam that diverted only $13,357. So that's not a lot of money, but here's the deal, you guys. This caseworker, she oversaw clients who received financial benefits and uh, uh, financial aid benefits. And she also had access to the state and city systems containing these clients' personal information. Well, here's what happened. In May of 2019, one of her clients, a woman who was receiving benefits on behalf of her five children died in a car accident. So what do you think this case worker did? I just here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a game. We're going to go around and I'm going to ask Kelly and Thomas what they think the caseworker did, even though they already know. So. But did she. Visit the kids to make sure that they were okay? did she help them out by doing a fundraiser and maybe giving them some money or did she do something else? If you think she did something else, type into the chat what you think she did. So it's a caseworker who was representing a mom of five kids who was getting benefits. I've already told you she had access to all of their information. The mom died in a car accident. What do you think the caseworker did, Kelly?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you right now that this is low-hanging fruit. And you said you had the discussion about mail fraud. And as a former federal agent, it's an easy charge. Something goes in the mail. It's just, it's, it's easy. That's why, like... Again, white collar crime statistics are so messy. They don't have a dead body. They can kind of charge it a lot of different ways. So, um, and then I'm just really sad. Again, so sad. Taking advantage of the disadvantaged. And I didn't look to see. Um, yes, how how It's also wire fraud when mail fraud isn't good enough. But I didn't look to see it. Like, has there been someone higher up In this agency who has gotten away with something, again, it's like the ACFE says, the higher up you are, the less of your punishment. And if people don't understand that and they're like, but someone else a lot higher up did way worse than me. Why aren't they getting? That can't be your defense. So
0: So Kelly's saying that she went and visited the kids.
1: (laughs)
2: That's
0: a long way of yeah no. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Thomas what what do you think she did? Uh you, I was assuming just Christmas shopping for the kids.
2: You know, you know, hold on to the money for a little bit, go It says it ended just abruptly stopped in January. So, you know, she got the money in, she bought great Christmas gifts for the kids and, you know, her kids and her family and, you know, neighbors and And then just stopped,
0: Right. You know what? That is a good point. That is what she did with the money after the mom died. Yeah, that's a good one, Thomas. All right. So look, guys, let's go back to the audience for a minute. My man Ahmed is here. Good to see you, Alicia. Alicia is sleeping and drinking at the same time. Better (laughs) than drinking and driving, though. Right. And and Malishka is happy today. And Clarence is back with us. He says it's Friday. Can't wait for Saturday. I completely understand that. Heather says Kelly, pink collar crime expert. Yes, sushi with the girls. That is what Kelly, uh, Heather is going to be doing. Dan is crying about our troops in Afghanistan. Yes, absolutely, man, absolutely. Heather says great show and hell. It's always wire fraud when mail fraud isn't good enough. Yeah, yeah, why is it always? So now we've got some, well, let's get to Janet first. Janet is cool today with her shades on, or her sunglasses, depending on where you live. So let's get to some of the guesses. Heather said she kept receiving her checks. Heather, you were close, but my friend, if only it were that simple. Dan says banked the payments. Very close. She banked them, but did some other things and other to in uh, in order to bank the payments. Alicia says diverted the benefits to herself. I think Alicia wins the prize. Uh, but wait till you hear how she did it. Pozo said something else. Sent them off to a group home. <laughs> I'm sorry. Them, let me just say that clearly for my transcription service when this gets transcribed <laughs> for the podcast. Pozo says something else. Sent them off to a group home. I'm sorry, I still couldn't do it. <laughs> the transcription is going to be all messed up with this one. Um, <laughs> Janet says she cashed the mom's check. Um, now how? With the ever insightful comment she gambled the money at the casino that's the usual pattern you know what they never said what she did with the money i don't think dan says oh they did
1: yeah
0: Uh, oh you know what they did
1: food entertainment Uh and other personal expenses
0: yeah (laughs) they did
1: did she go to disney she didn't steal enough money to go to disney
0: she must not have, because she didn't go to Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but she was in 30, Richmond. dollars. Yeah, that would have been a long flight though from Richmond. So yeah, Pozo is saying the kids, not the money. Yeah, we got it, Pozo. We got it. It was that was quite funny though. Okay, so you guys, here's what she admitted to doing. She admitted to accessing the dead woman's personal identifying information then she had new benefit cards issued and directed those cards to her residence or to herself didn't say her residence to herself so she went into the state system updated the woman's beneficiary information uh updated her information in the system and then had the card sent to an address that she managed monitored and maintain.
1: Well, okay, I'm going to, Thomas, I want your opinion on this is like, did she just come up with this idea all of a sudden? Did she learn it from someone else? This is IT Audit 101, is it not?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah. And the fact that it was such a short period of time and really 13,000 is not a large sum compared to some of these others that we've looked at before you, yeah, you really wonder, has she done it before? Were there others that have done it? She got the idea from, and you know, someone with five kids, uh, you know, that's just, I mean, honestly, if I were someone in that family and found out about it, I would, I would not want to do legal things uh, in response, but uh, yeah, it, yeah. You wonder where did that idea come from and are they really investigating to see who else is, is, is doing this and, How did it happen? Because obviously there are some serious control issues there.
0: Well, and, you know, each week when we come on, it's typically the same thing. Segregation of duties (laughs) could have prevented what happened. But a lot of times let's just let's just be frank here. With a lot of governmental agencies and municipalities, the control environments aren't that sound and they lend themselves to fraud. Even though the solutions are quite simple. So here's my thought Why did a caseworker have the ability to update someone's address? Now, I know in that environment, if you're the caseworker, you may need that access because you may go home, you may go to the home to do a welfare check and realize that they live somewhere else. But where's the check and balance to make sure that you entered an accurate and legitimate address?
1: Again, this isn't rocket science. Like, but there's also the idea of friction. Like if you make it too hard for people to access benefits. um, So there has to be a balance between there. But again, surprise and delight. You know what? If every caseworker knows that they only, that, you know, the audit only comes every so often, they're not dumb. Like mix it up and don't tell them.
2: Yeah, you know, mix it up, but also I I can see from a business you know standpoint, right? The the caseworker goes in, realizes they moved just recently or they're about to move. You don't want them to to be short and missing funds for you know. We're very frank. Thanks, Kelly. Yep. Uh, you know you, they need the money, right? There's a reason why they're receiving those funds. They probably can't afford to have a delay on the funds. So I can see it from a compassion standpoint, but there's got to be some type of checks and balances in place or some type of review it should not go on for as long as it did without anybody noticing.
0: Well, but here's another thought, too, because I don't know if you guys remember, I think it was episode number 15 or 19, where the woman was trolling the uh, obituaries in North or South Carolina, and she was charging Medicare, Medicaid benefits for people who had passed away right after they passed away. So here's a novel thought if I'm in the business of distributing benefits to people in the public sector, to the to the public, why would I not do some data analytics against, well, death notices? It's a novel concept. I mean, you know, we need Trent for this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, again, I'm not an IT person, but like with data and IT, like, you know, why is the system not when there's a death and there's a benefit that it immediately goes to a pile for manual review.
0: Yeah, when I imagine for this, your, 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 um, your primary key to look at would be social security number. The state has everything on us, right? Our blood type, our social security number, our firstborn. So, you know, social security number over here has died. Social security number over here is getting benefits Let's do a match and cut that off.
2: Well, you know, it's just like in the corporate world, you do an AP check, right? Who are your vendors? What are the addresses or bank accounts that they're, the payments are going to? Does any, about, any of that match the employees, you know, the employees' bank records, the boy, employees' addresses? I mean, it's not that hard and complicated to, to do a simple you know, V lookup even and do a, <laughs> and do that kind of research. So someone should have had some type of just, yeah, you know, like you said, a basic data analytics to be able to catch this.
0: And what I like to say is it's not rocket surgery. But <laughs> well, let's go back to our audience. Heather says, having had a family member that has worked in government services, there are a lot of cases and not a lot of people to do the work, and it might take time to catch the errors if caught at all. That's a very good point, Heather. And Janet says, just a quick check to make sure no caseworkers' names are in the beneficiary field. Yeah. 100 percent. Now, Dan, (laughs) remember, you're talking about, you're you're talking government money. Nobody gets hurt. And here's the guy we just finished talking about right here. Trent Russell says, is the lack of analytics for fraud? Because they think it won't happen to them. We trust our employees. Yeah, a lot of people trust their employees. And Clarence actually works for The state of Maryland, he says it's not that easy. Uh, He said, and again, systems don't talk to each other. Of course they don't. But shouldn't they? Or shouldn't someone build an interface? Yeah, but you're right, Clarence. It's not as easy as us saying that. But um, systems don't talk to one another. But there's a reason why systems typically don't talk to one another. It's because not just in government work, but in business. We operate in silos oftentimes, and we allow people to operate in silos, which is counterproductive and conducive to letting fraud happen.
1: Well, and there's privacy issues. And, you know, I mean, we do need to have privacy. Um, So you don't want one person in charge of everything. Again, segregation of duties.
0: And Hal makes a good point, which kind of piggybacks on what Clarence said. Many government services have limited budgets. Yes, they do. And controls are not given much consideration uh, as easy as they may be to implement. But that, that is a good point when budgets are limited. Um, but you know, at some point we've got to determine what is the baseline standard that we want to have? Because I'm sure Trent Russell, co-founder of Green Skies Analytics, would be able to help with doing some data analytics for governmental agencies.
2: And you know, I've always been a a big proponent of not spending money, large sums of money on special systems and applications and such. Uh, For smaller companies, even larger companies, a lot of times it's not really needed. It's nice to have, but especially with the power of of even something as simple as Excel. You know, okay, you have two systems that don't talk to each other. Do a data dump into Excel and start using some of the functions of Excel. If you're not going to spend the money on on more advanced you know, systems, you know, do something like that, right? You know, bring in someone like Trent, you know, once a year or once every other year and and have him dig through some of the data and at least help you identify the 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 highest risk points and where to really tackle it. And you know, I, I've done that numerous times with Excel, and it's amazing what you can find. And then you start digging deeper, right? Then you go a little bit farther into it.
0: Absolutely, 100% agree. And Pozo says, limited budgets are no defense for a lack of due diligence and poor controls. Very good, Pozo. Couldn't have said it better myself. Pozo's going to be our new guest host. No, I'm just kidding. Speaking of that, you guys. So, Joe is on vacation, again, without Kelly and I. Although she's promised to bring us back refrigerator magnets. <laughs> That's all I asked for. It's a good refrigerator magnet. Seriously, I am not hard to please. So this week, we have Thomas Molyneux as our guest host. Next week, we have Mark Anderson. You guys remember Mark from last time. And the week after, I'm working on a special guest, and we're trying to make sure that it's going to work. So I won't say his name unless he says it in the chat. So Joe will be gone for... Three weeks, you guys. She's abandoned us. Now she that legal? Say again, Thomas. Is that legal?
2: Is that really allowed? Is she allowed to do that?
0: I don't know if it's allowed. Although she did say that if she had Wi-Fi on the train, that she would listen in. And I don't know if she's listening in because she hasn't typed anything in the chat. And Pozo is laughing at me. Refrigerator magnets. I'm a simple guy. It doesn't take a lot to please me. I'm a very simple guy. It's just a refrigerator magnet. That's all. Um, (laughs) I forgot where she's going this week because it's one place this week and then another place the next couple of weeks, right, uh, Kelly? I'm
1: going to tell you, it's somewhere where there's a big COVID outbreak. So let's all, you know, fingers crossed. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's... uh. I don't know. This now, Delta variant, it's kind of freaking. Is it Frank? I mean, you're all being.
0: Hal says, is it Frank? I mean, are you all being Frank with us? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think you guys watch the show because we give our opinions. But I
1: Well, and you know what? Back to the story. Um, I don't think it said how long She had worked there, but she's 47 years old. So it hits my whole pink collar crime, like the sweet, you know, time. Um, given up a government pension and, um, yeah, just, it's the short term. It's the system one versus the system two thinking. And it's also the, I'm going to say the, I can't get caught, you know, I'm too smart for this, um. So, yeah, it's the short-term thinking that took over. And actually, I'm going to put something in the chat that I hope everyone can have a chance to read. Let's see if I can get this right. This is a really great article that was in the New Yorker magazine this week. And it's about my friend Jeff Grant, and he has this white-collar crime support group. The interesting thing is there is a guy who was a NASA scientist who stole, I can't remember, a couple hundred thousand dollars. He was making 180 grand a year. And um, guess where he went? Disney. Um, But there's a great quote in this article when he's like, I made a mistake. It is not a mistake. It is a choice. And there was someone else that was like, I say it in a podcast or something like that. Um, Uh, And it's like, it is a choice. It is not a mistake. Now, Diane Catani, the first time she stole, it was a mistake made by the travel agency. And sometimes a mistake can start it. But in this guy's case, Andy Tesnas, he says it was a mistake. And so I reached out to someone who is familiar with the group. And um, he's like, I coach people who actually own their choices, not their mistakes, their choices. So it's a really, really good article. um, If you guys want to read, I want to say it's one of the better written articles I've read about white collar crime.
0: Well, and it goes back to what you, you tell us a lot because the average age of a white collar criminal is what again?
1: 43 when they start.
0: Yeah. So she was 47, and and like you just said, it makes you wonder what is going on in people's lives because I'm imagining that uh, caseworkers don't make a whole lot of money. However, the pension is usually pretty good. I mean, you get paid for the the rest of your life, and that also includes health benefits. So to commit a crime that was, what, $13,000 and give up potential lifetime payments... Something had to be going on, although they said she spent it on food and other entertainment like things. So they didn't say anything about a mortgage or a car note or a sick relative who was in the hospital dying. Now, Alicia is saying, uh, with Joe, when we couldn't figure out where she's going, high COVID is it Florida? I don't think no. she's going to Florida, but yeah, COVID is kind of running rampant there. And Hal says the only mistake is <laughs> getting caught. <laughs>
2: You know, Kelly, you mentioned uh, about the the NASA incidents, and I'm real curious about that. Being here in Houston, you know, NASA, Jonathan Space Center is right here. And actually where I grew up uh, was 10 minutes from NASA here. And they were literally one of the student groups in my high school could dumpster dive at NASA and would get thousands and thousands of dollars of materials to build robots and, and that sort of thing. And that was just part of what they did. Uh, so I'll be interesting to read that that article because you could walk out of there with thousands of dollars of stuff from the dumpster and, and have permission to do so. So if you're going to steal from NASA, it's it's got to be something substantial.
1: Well, in the whole, I think, I don't know if he was a rocket scientist, but, you know, again, one of my Absolutely. hashtags is it's not rocket science. But like he spent 50 grand to put in a pool. He went to Disney. And but the, his quote is interesting. He's like, you know, um I made a mistake and a mistake sounds like it was kind of like inadvertent. He stole consistently. And I just, I learned that from actually criminology um, professor who used to work in in the prisons. And she's like, I didn't allow the word mistake. It's just
0: Mm.
1: a mistake is like, Oh, it just happened. Whereas stealing day in and day out is a choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, Pozo says that some of the social workers are part-time contractors and they don't get the benefits. That's a good point. So you guys are listening to the Friday Fraudster. Today, we are talking about, well, the Walking Dead collections. (laughs) If you like what you're hearing, tell all of your friends. You can watch the replay here on LinkedIn or You can watch it on YouTube, or you can watch it on FridayFroster.com, or you can watch it on your favorite podcasting platforms, unless your favorite podcasting platform is Apple. Again, eh, still working on that. I'll get that done at some point. Right now, this show, The Friday Froster, we have viewers all over the world. I look at the stats sometimes, and I'm amazed. South Africa, Nigeria... India, Italy, Rome, um, France, U.S., Canada, Mexico, some other countries in Central and South America, and I'm I'm just I'm just amazed. So I just want to say thank you all for tuning in. Now, in this particular case, a young lady was a caseworker, and when someone died, she was able to divert benefits to herself. She diverted those benefits to herself because she had access to the system, which she may not need, or if needed, there possibly should have been a secondary review, which hits to the point in most of the cases we talk about, it is usually a lack of segregation of duties and, well, a lack of review if there's a lack of segregation of duties. So at this point, Kelly, great women in fraud, what's happening?
1: Oh, you know what? We have the most amazing audience. And actually, I just got put on a criminology um class podcast to listen to, and I'm just honored. Swindled, isn't it? Um yeah, we're continuing to have just amazing guests, including great dudes in fraud. So, you know, listen, great dudes in fraud. Um, but yeah, just Pretty amazing. And we will continue to have amazing guests.
0: And great women in fraud is available on your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple.
1: <laughs> hey, did you know Amazon's starting their podcasting platform?
0: Yes, I am on uh Amazon's podcasting platform with yeah, Audit Bytes. And I Amazon. think we are with this one. I need to check on that. I think we are on Amazon, but I know Audit Bytes is. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah
0: fraud retreat.
1: This is going to be like, I'm going to say the bespoke fraud retreat where you are going to be able to hang out with, and I don't want to say I'm an influencer, but it's going to be small enough that it's manageable and you can really, really make connections. It's at the Gaylord outside of Denver, really easy to get to. Um, It's going to be fantastic. I mean, the speaker lineup is amazing.
0: So I'll go ahead and say it. Kelly is an influencer. So you want to go to the fraud retreat. It is Thursday and Friday, August 4th and 5th next year, 2022. Go to fraudretreat.com. Go ahead and book your space right now. Again, at the Gaylord, right outside of Denver, that is a really nice place if you've never been there before. So you should go just to see the Gaylord and then see Kelly and Joe while you're there and all of the other great speakers. She is an influencer. And you guys have a book club coming up soon. And Joe and Kelly have a CPE. Well, Joe has a CPE book club and she and Kelly are doing something really special this time. Tell the folks what you're doing this time.
1: So we're going to combine the book and the movie. And um, because I got com based on Joe's com, And there are a lot of books that become movies. And so I think to start off the sort of migration of the two is this is a great one with WeWork. And um, yeah.
0: I actually registered for this book club today. I'm excited. I think it's September the 15th, I believe yeah. it is. Yeah, okay. See, my memory hasn't all gone. But if you wanna know how you can sign up too, go to cpebookclub.com. This is, this is gonna be a good one. I'm, I'm excited about this one. And well, let's see, for me, Audit Bites, the first live podcast talking about auditing. We're on episode number four, and this Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, we're going to be talking about observation and inquiry in action. You know, we always talk about observation and inquiry, but I'm going to give you an example of what it really looks like or what it should have looked like in a particular thing that happened to someone. So Audit Bites, you want to know more about that, go to AuditBites.com, also the episode from last week episode 3 it is available for cpe nano credits that's right you get 0.5 credits for just watching a podcast and answering a few questions go to auditbytes.com for more information and in other news hey you guys i am doing the opening keynote at the iia's financial services exchange conference i am so excited i'm tickle pink can't you tell it's going to be fun because I get to talk about something that's not really auditing it's more of like a motivational kind of speech this is going to be real fun so while we're here thomas what are you doing man
2: well well first off let's go back to that that picture you just had cuz that was a smart bow tie you had going on in that picture robert man that was you know, great
0: you know I'm the bow tie guy i love bow ties i haven't worn one really since the pandemic but i am the bow tie guy
2: well, to quote the, I believe it was the 11th doctor, bow ties are cool. So if for any of the Doctor Who fans out there. So, uh, so by myself. So uh, again, I'm the, the founder and owner of Revision Management Consulting. Uh, look, sock season is really kicking to here right now. Uh, you know, all of my people are, have over 15 years of, of experience. Uh, you know, they just step in, they can knock it out, they get it done. No micromanagement, no lengthy review notes. Uh, it's great. So that's one of the the services I provide. Uh, also, the lovely SOC 2 Type 2 Type uh, uh, consulting. Uh, I don't do the audits, but sometimes you need a little assistance there. Uh, but then one thing that I really love doing, and uh, I enjoy doing, and I love giving my time to it, is speaking to both uh, college students as well as in corporate settings. Uh, just all topics on audit controls and even just starting and running a business. Uh, I've spoken at uh, Sam Houston State University. I've spoken at uh, U of H Clear Lake. Uh, I really enjoy just giving back my time to the students. So uh, if anybody's looking for that type, whether it's live or you know virtual, uh, I'm always happy to do so. So and again, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the show today. I'm, I'm always I always love watching it on Friday. So I'm, I'm happy to join in this
0: time. All right. Thank you, Thomas. Now, here's what I'm going to say. For anyone who actually got the Doctor Who reference, drop a hashtag Doctor Who in the comments. I'm just curious. I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Didn't know that you were a Thomas, but yeah, I think yes. it was the eleventh Doctor. It yeah, was, yeah, I Will think Smith. you're right. Yes, that's right. I could. I was trying to think of his name. <laughs> so I'm just really curious. Um, it's it's funny when you uh, find out what people really like, but uh, Doctor Who is actually one of my favorite shows, both the new iteration and the older ones from the I, guess, I think it was the 50s and 60s. So yeah, if we're so gonna bring that, it up,
2: I even have a uh, Weeping Angel bobblehead
0: here in my office. I've got a TARDIS here somewhere. I'm going to go get my TARDIS. Uh, and now people are like, what in the heck are they talking about? So with that said, before we nerd you to death.
2: Don't get next, me started.
0: <laughs> the next story, Hospice Hell. So let's talk about hospice for just one moment and what it is. So hospice is a very serious thing. According to the Hospice Foundation of America, hospice is medical care to help someone with a terminal illness, helping them to live as well as they can for as long as they can, increasing their quality of life. Now, it's usually an interdisciplinary team of professionals who address the physical, the physiological, the social, the spiritual, all the needs of this person and and their family. So hospice is a really good thing. So that care typically addresses symptom management, coordination between different providers. So as you can tell, it's very serious and it's very helpful for people. Now, it's usually time for hospice when a patient has six months or less to live. And or they have a rapidly declining medical state and or the patient is ready to uh, live more comfortably and forego Treatments aimed at prolonging life. So really, these people have decided they don't want to live anymore and they want to live the rest of their life as comfortably as possible. So there's a gentleman who oversaw the day to day operations of a hospice facility called Cannon Health. He was in New Orleans and he was charged by a grand jury uh, August 5th of this year with 23 counts of uh, health care fraud. According to the indictment, he unlawfully enriched himself by submitting and causing the submissions of false and fraudulent claims to health care benefits programs, including Medicare. He instructed his employees to improperly bill for certain services. So now this one, you guys, I'm going to add a little bit more context so that everyone is on the same page and understands exactly what happens. So bear with me for one moment. A lot of it was Medicare. So to participate in Medicare, the providers are required to submit an enrollment application. And when you become a Medicare provider, you agree to abide by their rules, processes, regulations, and anything surrounding how to get reimbursed. Typically, healthcare providers can only submit claims to Medicare for medically necessary services that they render, right? So Medicare regulations require that healthcare providers maintain complete and accurate records that show that the services provided were necessary. But here's how you do that. Typically, there's a coding system. I'm sure many of you guys have heard of people being medical coders and medical billers. Those two things are a little bit different. The coders put codes on that tell you what services were performed, and that's usually called the CPT code, a Common Procedural Terminology code. Now, if you guys remember, I was the chief auditor for healthcare operations, where I was over hospitals, and so I had someone on my staff who understood CPT coding. Those CPT codes are divided are Uh, done by the American Medical Association, and they are published yearly. Well, most hospice care is considered routine care and is provided to the beneficiary in their home. However, there are times when hospice care for those beneficiaries uh, need additional services. When they need those additional services, it should be clearly documented. And there are three types of additional services that they get, one is called continuous home care, one is called general inpatient care (GIP), and the other one is respite care. The continuous home care is to be provided only during periods of a crisis to maintain beneficiaries in their home. The GIP care is available to all hospice beneficiaries who uh, who are in need of pain control. So there's some severe pain, and then they need symptom management that cannot be provided in any other setting. Now, the inpatient respite care is provided to beneficiaries only when necessary to relieve a family member or other caregivers that are caring for the providers. Now, this coverage does not require worsening of the patient's condition, but it is short-term and is reimbursed for no more than five consecutive days. Okay. So with that said, what our guy was doing here is essentially he was combining services. So he was using these CPT codes to bill for um, inpatient services and the uh, um, respite services. So he was lumping the codes together. I will say, When you do this type of medical billing and coding, sometimes it is hard. It's very difficult to interpret what codes can be used for what services. But as I said previously, he instructed his staff to use incorrect codes. Kelly, Thomas, what do you guys think in this case?
1: So both my parents went through hospice and, um, In my dad's case, it was a really good experience, even though he's like hospice is where you go to die. And sure enough, they actually were going to kick him out of hospice because they said he was too healthy. And he actually literally passed within 24 hours. So I was like, you guys got that wrong. Um, My mom's case was really a lot different. And I'm going to say my dad was in a facility. My mom was in a facility. But like my mom's case was much more, I'm going to say, corporate. And I had, I mean, even until recently, and my mom passed away a year and a half ago, they will reach out to me and ask me if I need therapy for grief for my mother. And I'm like, get out, because I know they just want a bill. And like my dad's case, they didn't do that. It was probably offered, but I just had a really bad taste From the corporate part of it, not from the workers itself. So when I see a case like this, I go bonkers. Like, this is so wrong on so many different levels to take advantage of the patients, the family, the government. Like, it was a bleep ton of money. And (laughs) just, you know... Ugh, they need to like throw them in a bad prison with bad health care to take care. I'm sorry, I just like you know the, the the first story, you know, they were vulnerable, but this is all I mean, this is a ton of money. And it's it happens. I get these fraud things through a association every day, and I can't tell you the amount of health care fraud. It's insane. me and i just i see a story like this and i just go
2: bonkers sorry i i completely agree kelly i uh my i've got two grandmothers that have gone through this as well one went into a facility that was uh horrendous uh it was was not ran well and some of her personal items actually magically disappeared uh whenever she passed away uh so you can take what you want with that one, but then on the flip side, my my father's mother recently passed away, and honestly, everybody was uh, went, did everything like they're supposed to. Uh, they they managed it very well. They did not go over the top with some of the billing. Uh, they, some of the red tape was very difficult to get through, but it's not necessarily their fault. That was a lot of legalities and having to deal with the VA as well and some of that. So uh, you know, it was a bit of a challenge, but. You know that side was a positive side so it's nice when you can find the, the places that actually run it well uh but it's 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 so difficult to find and honestly you know looking at it it's easy to see whether you're either unqualified people are doing the work so they don't understand the coding or does is greed and fraud involved and obviously in this case it is it's the latter right
0: yeah and, and, and that's it exactly now heather says yeah they reached out to her for over two years after her grandmother passed but it was not repetitive thank goodness. And Dan says, had hospice for both his parents, very empathetic and sympathetic staff could not have made it through without them. And Pozo says it's sad and unethical how they try to maximize billing and use up annual amounts per patient. Now I will say, I think too, um, I think that oftentimes it's probably the corporate hospice facilities that maybe run better, though. I know, Kelly, you said the opposite, but I think because I think a lot of them might have an audit function and people looking over them. But I don't know. It's just my speculation because I do know when it comes to hospice and having hospice homes and care like that, there are licenses that you have to get. But if you're the business owner, the biggest license for you, the biggest license hurdle is being a Medicare, Medicaid provider. Because once you become a provider, you can bill for all types of services. You can bill for social workers. You can bill for doctors doing work there. And I think that's why, to Dan's point, the staff, very empathetic and sympathetic, because the staff is typically separated from the billing. They're there to truly take care of people. And for the big corporate giants, they have enough, uh, I forgot what it's like certified biller or certified medical coder or something like that. They have enough certified billers and coders on hand to be able to get it right. And I think they probably have more at stake, especially if it's a company that's publicly traded. So I don't know. And that's just my speculation uh, after seeing it and how it works in a semi-corporate environment. Um, Well, again,
1: this is where you need to have the FU fund, to, the walkaway fund, yep. is if you know. But there is there is a disconnect between the actual providers and both my parents, the actual people that were doing the hard work, I don't think they know. Like, right. And, I mean, I'm not going to go all communism here. So just – but, like – where do we draw the line on how much you can profit off of a per patient? Because if you, like, if Joe were here, it's all about the incentives. Like, you know, the more you, the more patients you get, I mean, there was a hard sell for many, many months for my dad to get into hospice. Like people wanted him in hospice. I mean, I personally did want him in hospice, but like, it was a hard sell. I don't think it should have to be a hard sell. And it's a hard sell because they're getting, you know, money per patient. So I, but the caregivers themselves, oh my gosh, I can't imagine doing that work. They are not paid enough. And the CEO that's paid that or steals that amount of money, I just, just the worst.
0: Yeah. And, and, and to your point, so the daily reimbursement rate for respite care between 2015 and 2017 was $164 to $174 per patient. Now, the GIP care for that same time period was $708 uh, to $734. So you see that huge disparity in reimbursement amounts, and you do have a ripe incentive there for fraud, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Joe should be here all about incentives and payment and everything. I mean, yeah, it's such a necessary, I'm not going to say evil because we, it isn't an evil. Um, they're like, I mean, I can't believe the stuff they did for my mom. I just, I, I was like, wait, you do that? And they're like, oh yeah, of course we do. Like my mom wanted a people magazine. She literally stopped at the store and got my mom a people magazine. I'm like, I can do it. And she's like, no, I'll do it. Like, really?
2: OK. Oh, yeah. yeah. There are some professions that, you know, clearly someone was born to do that role. Right. You know, they have the heart for it. You know, I say teaching is the same way quite often. You know, they have a passion for it. They're not doing it for the glory and the money. Right. They're, they're doing it because that's what they were. You know, they were made to do. Uh, you know, I, I was looking up uh, before we, we had this uh, this call here. And, uh, you know, right now, according to the most recent reports, the nations by the ACFE. 20% of all fraud happens from who? The owner or executive of the company. Uh, so you know, it's not that uncommon that, you know, that the leaders at the top are committing this fraud. And the, the fact that you know, one little change in the billing code can go from, what, what was it, like $300 a day to $700 a day? That adds up so quick, right? Uh, and you can easily start justifying it in your head and think you can get away with it. And you know, obviously he got caught.
0: And Heather says that she thinks that items always go missing in nursing homes. Her grandmother had dementia and she saw her giving stuff away when she was there. Now, with a lot of our cases, we can easily take a look and see where the controls broke down and what better control could have been put in place. But to your point, Thomas, if it's the owner of the company saying commit this fraud, then your control, you, you have no sound control environment and employees have to do what we talk about all the time, Kelly, is have your FU fund and be brave. I don't know if you guys saw my video on LinkedIn from yesterday where I talked about auditors have to be brave. Employees have to be brave because uh, at some point I would imagine the government, we know that they, they they got the top guy, but will they now start to go after these employees who willfully did what their boss told them to do, even though it was against the law. So I don't even know what other controls you can say should have been in place here other than the employees calling the state uh, uh, Medicare, Medicaid hotline to, to blow the whistle. Well,
1: and again, this is one of these things, does the, you know, nice man or woman that comes and brings the People magazine, do they even know what that like, you know, what that gets billed at or... I mean, I think they kind of, I mean, I don't know this, but there's, when do the workers get to see what they were billed for? Like you never see it. I can't imagine you ever see it. And those codes are crazy. Like I, okay. Anyone who's been listening to Friday or my son and his, you know, head concussion, the insurance company is still having a hard time getting the codes. And the guy said, It was a hundred and five page report. Oh my God. It was some staples. And he's like 105 pages. This is what is wrong. Like it should be came in head stapled, two IV bags, went home, like not 105 pages.
0: Well, and what happens. So here's how it works. Typically the workers have no idea because depending on what type of uh, medical record system uh, that the organization is using, you typically pick from a drop down what the symptoms are, and then you pick from a drop down what you've done. And then on the back end behind that are the coding or is the coding that should go with it. So now you're relying on either your internal IT staff mapping the coding correctly and/or the company that you actually purchased the software from and giving you updates that they've actually coded it correctly. So a couple of things. You've entered the right thing up front, and then the company who's doing your back-end coding has done that correctly because, as I said earlier, those codes are updated every year, I think in October. It's a shame I kind of know that. But, but yeah, (laughs) so now Janet says that her mother-in-law's nurses were the absolute best. We took all those roses from her funeral and gave them to her nurses. Such a special calling. It really is. And then Hal says, management override and collusion are the toughest issues to deal with regardless of the control environment. Absolutely. But, you know, from the tone at the top, that seems to be what was bad here. So now, you guys, in the indictment, it said that from January of 2013 to August of 2017, for one of those uh, CPT codes, he submitted 1,053 claims, and he was paid $223,000 by Medicare. Now, during that same period, for the other CPT code, he had 23,000 claims. And was paid approximately 2.2 million dollars that's a
2: lot of money <laughs> that's a big difference you know, I also, wonder, yeah, yeah, you know I also wonder yeah 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 i also wondered so i don't know about the the current statistics uh but i know in the past whenever you looked at different government entities whether it was the the state level or even down to the city level you know this is in louisiana this is in new orleans and i know that they have historically had corruption issues at some of those government levels, right? Uh, just like whenever I went to Nigeria, uh, I was speaking in Nigeria, doing some training and they asked me about a one-off scenario for control. I said, look, Transparency International says this is not exactly the most, you know, you know, up and up country. And all of them shook their head. Yes. They all were in agreement, right? So I almost wonder if those that were doing the coding and they were being instructed to do it you know, improperly, if it might be a cultural thing of, well, we either do it improperly here or we go to the next place that are also going to be doing the same thing. You know, is it one of those that they, they almost feel like they don't have any choice? Uh, could, so it could it be just kind of ingrained in that that area? And I, I'm not trying to accuse anyone, but it's something to kind of consider.
0: No, that is well, a good and point, I just,
1: Oh, I put in the chat, there is a great New York Times article that came out last week or this August 22nd. Hospitals and insurers didn't want you to see these prices. Here's why. And they go and they break out like an MRI with Cigna, Aetna, no insurance. It's, if this doesn't get you angry, I don't know what will.
0: Well, Hal's pretty angry. He dropped the angry emoji into the chat. (laughs) All right, guys. So you've been watching the Friday Fraudster. Today, we've been talking about The Walking Dead collections and the hospice hell and the hospital's hell. Well, you know, it looks like the tone at the top was pretty bad. Uh, the owner of this company instructed his employees to bill Medicare, Medicaid for improper things. And he collected millions of dollars. Uh, he's been indicted and he is facing a lot of jail time. Uh, if he is convicted So, Friday Froster, every Friday at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time, we are available on your favorite podcasting platforms, unless your favorite podcasting platform is Apple. If you go to FridayFroster.com, you can find us there, and you can get CPEs for watching a one-hour podcast. Occasionally, we bring on great guests like Thomas when Joe abandons us because she has a life and, well... We don't, well, I won't say we don't, I don't. Kelly probably has a life. <laughs> Joe is abandoning us for the next three weeks. Today it's Thomas. Next week it is Mark Anderson. And then the week after that, well, it might be someone else. So it might be Mark again, depending on if we can get this other person to And how
1: come Mark isn't here today? Now he's traveling, I think today, back from a gig. Um, But it's kind of funny. He's usually always here. And the week before he's supposed to be on, he doesn't show up. Okay, Mark, calling you out on that.
0: Yeah, where are you? I actually (laughs) talked to Mark uh, yesterday. (laughs) And and Dan says tone at the top drives the culture. That is a good point, Dan, because the employees up under this, this guy may not have been the innocent angels that we might think they are. They may all be corrupt and one big, happy, corrupt family, right? That's, that's a very good point.
2: Well, that's where you run into most of the problems, right? If you don't have the right tone at the top, you know, it's not going to work. You know, I've got several private companies that I work with that, you know, they don't have to worry about Sarbanes-Oxley or external auditors, but I still tell them if you don't have the right tone at the top, you're not going to have controls in place. You're going to have fraud. It just period. Yeah. You know, you have to have that tone at the top.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Again, this one is just like a majority of the cases, With the first one, segregation of duties with the second one, a good culture and a good environment. It's almost like we are a broken record, but it's (laughs) a different, uh, 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 album that you're putting on the turntable. It's like it's skipping in the same spot, just a different record. Um, I think the world needs auditors. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. So again, you guys, Friday Fraudster, Hospice Hill and the Walking Dead Collections. Thomas, any last words for the people?
2: Uh, make sure you keep tuning in every Friday. Right. And check out the, the 500 different podcasts that Robert has going on. And Kelly's always putting out some great stuff as well. So Kelly, I don't click on like enough on your stuff on LinkedIn, but I really appreciate everything that you are putting out here as well. So uh, follow these two and make sure you give Joe a hard time about taking so much time off. She's, you know, that, that's just not right. <laughs> you,
1: can, you can send the check to Joe to South Dakota for that conflict of interest that you put her on a train so you could be on this. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> Kelly, any last words for the folks?
1: Uh, great women in fraud, listen, review, rate, review. Thank you.
0: All right, now, Dan, thank you, Dan. Different song, same verse. Thank you, thank you so much. I couldn't think of what I was trying to say because I think that is the, the saying that I was actually looking for. Last word for me, thank you guys for listening. Audit Bites on Wednesday, Friday Froster on Friday, The Corporate Quitters live on Tuesday mornings. We'll see you guys next week.